Hello, and welcome to the Queen Trail podcast. Queen Trail, a woman who emphasizes a life of passion expressed through personal style, leisurely pastimes, charm, and a cultivation of life's pleasures. I am Syl Annan, and I invite you to join me in exploring and savoring life's riches and the beauty that surrounds us. In the company of friends, we can laugh, discover, appreciate, and support each other. So I hope that you will join me where I will talk about everything that makes up the rich and diverse fabric of a delightful life. Let's cultivate vibrant conversation together. Welcome. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I'm gonna get right into my In the Company of Friends talk with my friend, Anthony Ramadka. He is an artist, photographer, former assistant park ranger with the California State Park System, a gardener, a nature enthusiast. He's also a survivor of both a triple bypass surgery and a foot and ankle amputation in the past year alone. So we are going to cover everything from the Nazi history of the former Murphy Canyon Ranch site, which is in Rustic Canyon. And it was one of Anthony's sites while he worked for the California State Park System, as well as more about his time there. And of course, the major surgeries that he experienced in the past year, overcoming depression, getting his health back and a new prosthesis that will allow him to walk again. So I'm super excited about this. It was a really great talk. I hope that you enjoy it. Be sure to check the show notes because I will be posting what we talked about, links to everything, and I will also be posting pictures on the socials. So check those out. Um, Oh, and there was also a small headphone fiasco. There's always something, right? I had my headphones on, but not plugged in for about an hour of this interview. So you will hear me actually talking over Anthony. Anthony, I am so sorry again, um, but it's because I really couldn't hear him. (laughs) So without further ado... Here is Anthony Ramadka. <laughs> okay. Well, it's good to be here. <laughs> I am so excited that you're here. Like, I'm just super glad that we get to just catch up again. And like, I super appreciate you being on the episode. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad we got to do this. So the other day we were getting ready to talk about Rustic Canyon. Oh, Yeah. You were saying that uh, something happened to you there? Yeah. So ages ago, I learned about this old Nazi stronghold holdover that that was there at Rustic Canyon. And it had, you know, all of this legend and lore that went along with it. And I really wanted to check it out. Like, I thought it was crazy that there were Nazis in the United States, which, you know, since then I've learned that there were a lot. Um, yeah, unfortunately. 
Yeah. And there were like, you know, groups campaigning to Americans uh, to, to get them to sympathize mm-hmm. and, you know, like trying to remember what the whole story was, but there was a couple and they were tasked with building a compound for Nazis and the officers and soldiers. So they found this location in Rustic Canyon and they started going about building like underground tunnels and mm-hmm. um, all of this interesting stuff there. And amazingly, the architect that they chose was a renowned African-American architect named Paul Williams. And Paul Williams is known as the architect to the stars. So he, he is the architect that designed the George Jetson looking spaceship restaurant that's over at LAX. Oh, really? He did. Yeah. And he designed uh, Lucille Ball's home and he designed a fortress, I mean, like a whole compound for Nazis. I didn't know that. (laughs) I'm trying to think if I knew that. I can't, I don't don't think I knew that. Oh, it's the irony of this. And I don't know enough of the story. Like, was he bamboozled by these people who were keeping it top secret? I would imagine that, you know, you don't walk around as a Nazi going, hey, by the way, we <laughs> want to build a compound here and we're going to have like military exercises at night and come help us build, you know? I mean, I know yeah. that's not going to happen. And so I don't know if Paul Williams knew who he was building for or, you know, maybe he just thought, well, you know, it's really good money and that's not part of what I get paid for to decide if it's morally or ethically okay to do a project. I don't know at all what he thought, but those are some of the things that sometimes I think about because it's just ironic that you've got these people coming in and then they're picking an African-American man to build their compound. But he did start it and... My understanding is that they started bringing over like horses and uh, soldiers and they would have maneuvers at night and, you know, like start firing guns at 3 a.m. And the neighbors would complain like crazy. I I don't even understand how they got to stay open. I need to re-research this. Where did you find this information? Oh my God. It's like all over the internet. If you look up Murphy Canyon Ranch, that's what it's under Murphy Canyon Ranch, not Rustic Canyon. Um, And so, uh, you know, this is Pacific Palisades. I mean, this is like. Yeah. Well, back then it was just growing. Right. But it it was just still kind of not where you would expect any of this. And that's why, you know, because it's, it was newly growing area. Um. The day after the Pearl Harbor attack happened, the FBI raided because they had been keeping tabs on what was going on in the compound. Like somehow somebody tipped them off that there was Nazi activity going on there. I'm sure that just the gunfire alone was enough for them to go. Well, there was also a little artist colony down there. 
Well, that was after. Yeah. So the day after Pearl Harbor happened, the FBI went in. Oh, and right. they arrested that couple. And there was actually a third man there who, um, I believe, Herr was Schmidt. kind of like higher ranking or something in, mm-hmm. in within the Third Reich. And he ended up being placed in prison. The other two, I don't know what happened to them. And I believe that the third man ended up dying in prison. And the place remained vacant for quite some time. And eventually, it became the artist colony that you're talking about. And Red Skelton was one of the artists there. Uh And at some point, I think it was in the 70s, maybe, a fire raged through there and just 1978. 78. Thank you. And that was it. Like, nobody went there. Well, there was this revival because of all of these stories that are out there. And now, you know, if you go and you look up Murphy Canyon Ranch, this is what you find on it. You got to look up uh, Randy Young, Betty Lou Young, his mother. They wrote books on this subject and about the Palisades. They're pretty much the town historians. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I'm going to check it out. Well... When I was in college, I had the opportunity to go to Europe on a study abroad program. And it was part of my, I was in in an honors program and it was part of that program. So I went with the honors history and the honors music classes. And it was the most in-depth, amazing tour of Europe. But of course, because it was history, it included a lot of detail regarding World War II. So we did visit Mauthausen, which was the last death camp to be liberated. And we went to Eagle's Nest. And while we were at Eagle's Nest, (laughs) I was the only one that had taken some time to try to learn German. And I learned just enough to be dangerous. Uh Oh, (laughs) so, um, I understand that Eagle's Nest is closed now, but at the time it was open. So we drove up this mountain in the Alps there and they drilled a shaft into this mountain peak and and there's an elevator in it. So we went into that elevator, came out into what was Hitler's Alpine retreat right up there on top of the world. It was just spectacular. Like you're standing up there and it feels like, you know, you can touch God's feet because it's, it's the clouds are just coming down on you and you just see peak after peak after peak. And it's just glorious. Wow. Um, So I feel really fortunate to have been able to go up there, but I don't know why the tour ended up being set up for like three and a half hours there. And there was only so much to see. I told a couple of the other students that we were with, you know, like I was watching this PBS show and at the end of the war, we did a surgical strike on Hitler's home in the Black Forest at the base of this mountain. And I bet you I could find the entrance based on, you know, watching this PBS show. And they're all like, let's go do it because we didn't really have anything to do. So I went over to one of the bus drivers and told him in German that we'd missed our tour bus. And he was like, oh, get on. I'll get you back down to the bottom of the mountain. So we did that. And we 
actually found that opening. I mean, it was exactly like it was on PBS and there were signs all over the place that said verboten on them and, you know, which means uh, forbidden, no trespassing. And I'm like, okay, there's no guards around. So we went in. Oh, Phil, you're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) There's a thin line between courage and stupidity. (laughs) sometimes you you land on the right side of that line. And that was one of those days. So we went in there. And at first, I thought this is not the right place. And after walking a bit, you start seeing the swastikas and the heils and, you know, like all the, the odes to Hitler and whatnot. And so we arrive to this little foundation that should have been taken over by the forest. But because so many people knew about this, so many people must have watched that PBS special along with me. Um, (laughs) They, I'm sure that, you know, like a lot of people knew about this, but um, people disturbed the area enough that vegetation was not growing over a little bit. Like there would be like some rebar or, um, a little bit of like wrought iron fence and a tiny bit of foundation. You could still see where the house had been. So we keep walking down this trail and there were some more homes because um, the architect had a home there. And I don't remember who else's homes were there. I did know it at the time. And they were just filled with graffiti, just gutted, filled with graffiti, forest growing all around them, and just these relics of World War II. And so then we kept walking, and you wouldn't think that, you know, being in Germany, in the Black Forest, that it would be hot, but it was very humid, and we didn't have any water with us because, you know, this was like a last-minute decision to, you know see if if we could talk somebody into bringing us down to the bottom of the mountain. Yeah. And so we, you know, we're walking a little bit more and we come out onto this rolling hillside. I mean, it's just bucolic, like, like the forest ended and there was just grass and you're expecting Heidi to come dancing and singing out <laughs> on one of the pine trees there, you know, and there's like cows munching this grass and they, they look like, you know, you see those commercials for the happy California cows. These were yes. definitely happy cows. They were they were so beautiful and and just like the whole scene was so lush and glorious. And on the other side of these cows was a trough with like a half pipe running up this mountain and pouring down the half pipe, I mean, just like tumbling down was this melted snow water that was just flowing into this trough. So we go racing past the cows and we get to this trough and everybody stopped because there was a little tiny sign on a post in front of the trough. And yeah. it was, of course, in German. So they're like, Oh, Sil speaks German. So they pushed me in front of the sign and it said, <laughs> here's where I, where it got dangerous. It said to me, keine Trinkwasser. And I'm like, hmm, keine, keine. I don't know what keine means. And so I'm looking at it. I'm like, but you know, German's a lot like English, like drink is drink, Wasser's water, so kind of must be kind, as in good drinking water. And that's 
all I had to say. Everybody's like pouring water over the top of ourselves, just drinking tons of this water. It was honestly the most delicious water I have ever had. At least my memory is like, there will never be water that tastes this good again in my life. It was, I'm like, the cows look happy. They drink this water. It must be good, you know? Uh Uh-huh. We got, you know, like better than drinking Dom Perignon. We drank this crystal clear melted snow water. And by the time we got back out, the bus was just arriving. Like we coincided with our bus. And I asked the tour guide, his name was Daniel, what kind of meant. And he's like, kind of. And I'm like, yeah, like kind of Trinkwasser. And he's like, oh, no, kind Trinkwasser. It means don't drink the water. And I'm like... Oh my God. Oh my God. Everybody, <laughs> everybody's head like flipped around, like, what? And I'm like, oh, he goes, Did you drink the water? I'm like, mm, Yeah, is that bad? And he's like, Well, it's a two hour drive. We'll find out. And oh my nobody God. Nobody got sick. Nobody got okay, sick. Okay, that's good. Yeah, which was great. You know, and then the next day we're in Vienna. And so there's like this little spigot with like an inch of soot and it's dripping and the water is like black and disgusting and there's a little sign on a chain on it that says kind drink wasser and i'm like see if that water would have looked like this i would have been like kind means don't right (laughs) so you know i i i have learned a lesson i now know what kind means which i should have known before i went but i don't know I, like I said, I just learned enough to be dangerous, but I spent a lot of time in Germany and Austria and uh, we went to Prague in the Czech Republic and it was like really pretty amazing. So I'd already had that history. And then I'm like, wait, what? There's like a Nazi stronghold that was here in Los Angeles I I have got to go and see this. So I got a couple of girlfriends together and each one of them brought a child. And we went over for an amazing hike. There's a fire road that you take and then there's a bunch of stairs that go down. I don't know, 500 steps going down. And the weird thing was when we got to the bottom of those steps, I turned around to take a picture going up and the grass It was very tall grass, like kind of, um, it wasn't pampas grass, but it was, you know, like fluffy on the top like that. Those blades and stems had folded from either side of those steps, had folded across almost like they were denying you entry to, to go back up. It was so crazy. It was like the craziest thing. And so I'm like, well. God, that's so weird, you know? So then we kept walking. And the first thing we came on upon was the gas tank. They had a gas tank there. I think it held like 10 or 20,000 gallons of gas or something like that. I mean, it was like really big and everything had been graffitied over, but it was still there and very sturdy. And then you continued on and you came upon the tank that was going to hold water. And that was like 500,000 gallons of water for this dam, Uh which of course was totally empty. And there were some, you know, like people had gone down there to do some gladiator fighting or something. 
Oh, and wow. then you continued on the path and the path turned down. And eventually there were like gardens and sniper holes with like these windows there. And you could see the tunnels and there were stairs just going on. It looked like a fun house. Everything was graffitied. It was very quiet. It was super desolate. It was away from everything. And it just had this very creepy feeling about it. So I'm looking around and then. Yeah, that was the generator uh, house. Then you get to the generator house. Yes. And we went inside of there and you could climb up a ladder and get on a catwalk at the top. But Mm -hmm. there were holes in the floor everywhere. If you weren't careful, you could fall in there. And they were all full of just junk and trash, needles, um, whatever, you name it. It was in there. Yeah. And then you can continue beyond that. And you got to the carriage house. And I'll find the pictures and I'll post some of these because... It was really creepy. Um, Somebody had drawn this bloodthirsty wolf with a knife with eyes that kind of like followed you when you moved around. And across the arch, it said camp rape. And I'm like, okay, there are. (laughs) Um, I want to say it was. 2011. Ah, okay. Um, It's been a while. And off to the side, it said in huge, huge letters, waking up the beast. And, you know, and then there's all like this Nazi sympathy stuff and lyrics from the misfits. And I was just like, okay, there's three girls here and two kids. And I look at my my girlfriends, and one of them's like walking after butterflies to take pictures of these butterflies. And I really started to feel this sense of danger. And my, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, because there was nobody else around us, and there was it was just very ugly stuff that was there. And I turn around and I see these skinheads, like three of them with pit bulls walking towards us and like kicking up dust around themselves. I mean, they looked like so menacing and I'm like, Oh shit. And I'm like, all right, you guys, we got to get going. We got to get going. And one of my friends had cut herself and she's like, hang on. And she pulls out her little dressing kit and Uh she's like very carefully, like pulls out the alcohol pad, opens the packet, wipes up the, the little bit of blood and then she has to go and find the little neosporin and she puts that on there and she gets a band-aid and I'm like, hurry up. We're going to like die. I mean, this is not going to be a good thing. And I, I don't know how they didn't see these guys, you know, like, thank God they went over to the generator house. And when we walked by, they were just sitting there kind of glaring at us. And yeah. so I didn't feel good about it. And I, you know, was like trying to get them to keep going. And for some reason, they did not realize that these people were there. 
And I kept looking over my shoulder until I felt a little bit safer. And rather than going back up all of those stairs, we went out the gate, which was a magnificent scrolled iron. And we're walking back along that fire path. You know, I'm, I'm like asking the girls, I'm like, oh my God, that was so scary. Did you guys see those skinheads and their dogs? And they're like, no. I'm like, what? Okay. And so now I'm thinking I'm losing my mind. Like, I was hallucinating, you know, because nobody saw them except for me. And so uh, we run into this big group of like multinationality kids, like college kids. And they stopped and they're like, yo, do you guys know where, where that Nazi place is? So I'm like, okay, yes. And, you know, they were like super excited. I'm like, there's a bunch of skinheads over there right now, though. And that it didn't, they didn't seem to be troubled by it. I mean, there were like seven or eight of them. They're like, oh, yeah, there's enough of us. We can take them. And I'm like, mm, okay, they got dogs. So I gave them my map because I had download. It wasn't a map, but it was the uh, list of instructions that somebody had kindly put up online for anybody who wanted to go and check out this place. Yeah. And as I'm, I had my back towards the, towards the gates that we had come out of. And St- Stephanie and um, Laura had kind of like moved in front of me and, and were on the same side, looking back towards the gate, like looking at me while I'm talking to these people. And I just see both of their faces kind of their mouths go into these O's and their jaws dropped. And Stephanie's like, is that who you were talking about? And I turn around and here comes the skinheads and their dogs and they're walking like in this giant cloud of dust. I mean, they look like demons coming out of hell walking towards us. Oh, and God. now we're in this giant group, right? We've got like eight people plus the five of us. Yeah. So they, they looked like they were going to go right through the middle of us. Like, you know, they were the bowling ball and we were the pins that they were going to knock. <laughs> And I just kind of like stood my ground. We all, I, I don't know if some of them were shocked or some of them were just like pissed at seeing like this much hatred. You know, it's offensive. It was offensive. The, the level of just aggression that they were holding and they got pretty close to us. And, and then they split up into two groups and went around us and just kept walking, left us alone. Um, so that was my experience there. It wasn't like, I'm really glad I got to see it. And I went there specifically because I'd been to Europe and done so much history study of World War II during college and um, had seen so many places that this was just kind of like, just continuing. It's like right here in my own backyard. and. Yeah. They did raise the place about three years ago, I think. It wasn't too long ago, but like now it's a park and the, everything's gone. Um, every single Oh, thank God. Gone. I know. Yeah, I know. because I've been waiting for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So they got rid of it because they it was just becoming such a huge nuisance. And exactly. I would hike yeah. alone and come across uh, people like that near the uh, generator house. And that was even before, I mean, that was back in the uh, like uh, mid-90s. 
So. Yeah. You know, because like I said, the tunnels were still there. I mean, there were these long skinny ladders and you could just go down into them, but they were filled with water and nasty stuff in there. But we did climb down into one just to check it out. And you could see that there was a lot of like paint ballers would go there because how fun you get to run through tunnels and you get to run through these firing runs and stairs and crazy buildings and stuff. Yeah, it eventually had to go. So it's, it's gone. Um, I feel, you know, like I said, fortunate that I was able to see it, but it was a very creepy place. And I think that it's for the best. Yeah. It did definitely happen. And uh, over in Rusty Canyon, um, there's more going on than just the Nazis, but because a lot of people wanted to focus on that. Uh, all sorts of legends and stories came out of there. Like what? But, well, like, uh, you know, one of the guys, the sympathizers was uh, Herr Schmidt. He'd go to the top of trail up there, up to above the uh, uh, camp. <laughs> He'd go up to the top of the mountain and uh, transmit stuff to, I guess, a Nazi sub off the coast or whoever was listening. And then there was also the, um, was it brown shirts, who would patrol up and down the canyon, cause some problems, got to look it up. Yeah, I pulled up a little bit of information. Owner in 1933 was Jesse M. Murphy, which is why I guess it's called Murphy Canyon. At this point, I do need to correct something. Paul Williams did not design that entire compound. He only designed that ornate entrance gate. So I don't know who built the rest of the compound, but I need to Mm. correct that. Um, I have not gone back. You know, I really should go back and see what it looks like now. But I think when you said Herr Schmidt, that was the, the guy that ended up in prison and and he ended up yeah um let's go both go back together let's do it i think that would be so much fun give me like a month after i get my new leg and i will totally uh go down there with you and tell you about stuff and i i want to see it i want to see that those buildings are gone and I mean, there are some buildings there that are still probably hidden in some of the uh, overgrowth out beyond those buildings on the trail. Because I came across all sorts of stuff, greenhouses. There was a little shack, nice home back in the uh, early 90s. And I don't know if a lot of that uh, stuff is still yeah, there. Yeah, I not. think now that you said that, there was like, it looked like there was a trail and I'm sure that at one time there was a greenhouse or some sort of conservatory that then was like overgrown with Ivy and all this stuff. And you, and it was just impassable um, at that time. So I think, I think maybe I did see that, but it was that um, there's two things that I want to come back to for you to, to talk about. One of them is when you were, working with the forest service was that one of your sites there rustic canyon yeah uh 
California State Parks. Mm. Yeah, Rustic Canyon. I used to hike in there all the time. Just it's a nice getaway. Um, yeah, you could enter from the neighborhood up near Amalfi. You could also enter across from the polo field down this trail and across these bridges, which is now some of the bridges are falling apart. So beware, uh, walk very carefully. But uh, that goes down to the stream. And then you can walk up the stream up to the uh, waterfall going over a dam. And just before you get to that, there's a trail that goes up above the waterfall. And that you take across the creek. It gets really jungle-like and forest-like. And up there, you'll start passing some old buildings. And one of the first things you come across are uh, stables that were there from Happy Valley Farm. There used to be a riding school down there. They're all grown over. And then you go up and uh, Will Rogers, the site of his old cabin he used to have down there, which burned in the 78 fire. And then there's the rusted building. People have just pulled it apart. And actually some things there they've made art out of. <laughs> uh, you go up the... The generator house, which you said is gone, and that's awesome. Because yeah. it was just covered in graffiti and was very dangerous with all the big holes. And um, You know, when I climbed up the ladder and I got up into the catwalk, and my girlfriends were down below, and they're, like, taking pictures. And then we all took turns, you know, going up there so we could get pictures <laughs> of ourselves on this catwalk. And I do remember coming back down that ladder backwards, of course, uh, feet yeah. first. And I stepped back and I was just busy chatting with the girls and I felt my heel hover over dead air and that big hole, I almost fell into it. And I'm like, holy cow, I almost yeah. died. Like if you get hurt out there, that's not going to be a good thing. <laughs> No, and I have been hurt out there and had to walk back. Oh, my God. <laughs> what happened? I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Something weird happened, and I was going up the trail, and it got really steep, and suddenly I felt this crunch and felt the muscle in my calf just tear. Mm, and, ow. oh, it was horrifyingly painful. And I'm like okay, I'm probably about, a, say, a mile into this, and I have to walk out. <laughs> also, I've twisted my ankle and other stuff up on the uh, backbone trail up there. So oh, that's uh, such a nice Over the trail. years, it's like, yeah. Oh, the backbone trail. You go up from the generator house, and did you see the uh, barn, white barn with the cyclone fence around it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just off to the left of that, you go across the stream and there's a trail that goes up Lost Switchbacks up the hill up to the Backbone Trail. And it's beautiful, great views. And then you can go down to the park mm -hmm. or you can walk over to Topanga, which uh, connects to the Backbone Trail going to Will Rogers. And uh, there's a place called Lone Oak with this one lone oak tree right in the middle of the trail. It's beautiful. 
Yeah, I am always grateful that there's spaces like that, despite how busy LA is. Yeah, the Backbone Trail is awesome. There's uh, two different places that I've been at on the trail because it goes forever, right? I mean, do you know where it starts and ends? Uh, Starts at Will Rogers and goes up, ends up in, uh, I think, near Point Magoo. Yeah, one of the places I was going to mention is the Julian Loop Trail. And it's actually pretty close to Point Magoo. And it's just a beautiful trail. There's like you're going through some meadows and then you're doing a little bit of rock scrambling, some climbs. You know, of course, there's signs all over the place warning you about mountain lions. And there's a little bit of challenge to this trail, which is really cool. And and at the end, you can go through a tunnel under the PCH and you end up on the beach. So you get this beautiful sunset there at the end. And then the other spot right at the border of Los Angeles and Ventura counties is an old Chumash cave. And there's a lot of them there, Chumash Indian caves that were very sacred to them. And some of them are just totally off limits to visitors. But there's one, it's ridiculous to try to get into this. It was just uh, Cameron, Sophie and I, we got there and we're looking at the entrance and there was some wacky, I don't know what this guy was doing, but he had a giant knife on him. And I'm like, yeah, he just went into the cave. We're not, <laughs> we are not going. Oh my God. After driving all the way out there, it was just very disappointing. So we sat on the trail and waited for some group to walk by so we could ask if we could join them. So here comes these three people. It was a guy and his girlfriend, and she had her little teeny little like teacup chihuahua-like dog um, yeah. in her pack. And then there was another guy with them. And I told them what happened, and the two guys are like, oh, we're Navy SEALs. Like, we're going to pound this guy if we see him. Yeah, you can join us. You know? <laughs> like, all right, this is the group that I am going with. Like, we're best friends now, you know. And yeah. we got to the entrance, and thank God that we were with them. They were, like, in tip-top shape. And they ended up having to help us get into the cave because there's a rock that is very high, And if you're there by yourself, I don't even know how you would climb it, you know, so they either pulled us up or pushed us up or both, depending on who was in front of us and who was behind us. And so we got into this cave and it's got kind of like these, the rock itself looks like a bunch of curtain folds, like there's drapes that are made out of this sandstone or whatever it is. And um, there's almost like an altar, this natural altar formation in the middle and little chambers, little rooms around there. And like these natural steps, just, I guess, I don't know if the Chumash had kind of formed these steps or if it's just from so many people going in there, but it does have like these natural steps and then you can go climb up a bunch of rocks. It's it's like almost like out of an Indiana Jones movie. And you end oh, up neat. going through a hole. And, the, and there's yeah. a lot of holes in the ceiling, not like huge ones, but there are openings. 
in the ceiling of this cave. So like light beams in there, the sunbeams come through and it just lights it up really. Like it's, it's beautiful. Um, but there's a big hole. And if you jump just right, grab the edge, hoist yourself out, you can end up on top of the cave. So we did that. And then as we're standing there, here comes the guy with that big old giant knife. And I'm like, that's him, that's him. You know, like, I don't know, he kind of disappeared. I think he looked scared that there were so many of us. And I'm sure that, you know, the Navy SEALs weren't making him feel comfortable at all. And then they said that they were going to go to Castle Peak. So once you're up on top of the cave, there's a very treacherous trail and they kind of told us that and they're like, but don't worry, just don't look down. You know, we know. <laughs> and and I, I just, we leaped over these huge gaps. And, you know, like if you fell into the gaps, it was just filled with prickly pear cactus, a bunch of opunches that were in there with like very long thorns. Oh, and wow. I'm just thinking, oh my God, if my kids get hurt, there's going to be like child protective services are going to be at my door going, what kind of a mother are you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was challenging. It was great. We ended up getting to Castle Peak and I have um, a couple of pictures of that. It was just really spectacular. And then you go down the other side and these guys are talking about like what they were going to put on the grill and the girls like talking about inviting her girlfriends and stuff. And we're getting yeah. ready to go down and it, looked like just a normal little trail but there were a bunch of cholas or what are those cactuses they're really awful cactuses so there were like a bunch of those there were like three very active beehives and i'm like okay i think we're gonna be okay i'm not really afraid yeah of the bees they're like if we don't mess with them they're not gonna mess with us but if too many of us walk past these hives and they kind of like perceived danger. That'll be a problem. Um, so then there was a lot of very fine silt on top of those rocks and it was just rock and silt. And we start walking down and I landed on my ass and then I was just going straight down towards the cactuses. <laughs> oh my God. And luckily one of those seals did reach out and stop me. I'm sure that he was very sore by at the end of the day because um, (laughs) he did hang on to me and, you know, like got me back on the trail and we were able to, to get down without really being hurt. So by the grace of God, that's the group that we ended up with, you know, and nobody got hurt and uh, we were able to see everything that we wanted to see and, and not have to worry about the guy with the knife. So that was like a really cool one. And that's right there on the Backbone Trail. What a great adventure. Yeah. I, I feel like like it doesn't matter where I go. It turns into an adventure because I'm just so curious, you know, and I'm like, you know, somebody walks by and goes, hey, there's this cool thing over there. And I'm like, oh, let's go check it out. You know? <laughs> I'll come with you. you know? I'm surprised I, you know, I don't have terrible stories. But when you're on the trail, like you kind of know, who it's probably okay to walk along with and, you know, who you like totally need to stay away from. Yeah. I've seen a lot of your pictures and you go to some awesome places. Yeah. There's just so many cool places around here. And and you know what I do, what I've noticed is because social media 
did ruin the world. I, I really feel like it ruined nature because you show up to a place like Eaton Canyon and everybody knows that there's a big waterfall at Eaton Canyon. And I remember Sophie and I were like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. So you see the pictures, you know, and you just see this waterfall and you know that there's some rock scrambling and it's not like the easiest trail, but there's, you know, there's a brook and there's this beautiful canopy of like birch trees and cedars. And it it looks so storyland like, you know, it's just gorgeous. And so you show up thinking, oh, I'm going to go on a hike. And every single person had the same idea as you. And I just remember telling Sophie, I think there's more people here than there are at Disneyland today. I could (laughs) not believe the level of crowds. And um, I, you know, like I've been, I've been struggling lately about posting photographs and identifying what the place is because it is all over social media. So it's really hard to go to pristine places or low populated trails. And so I do try to hit like the really hard trails or or the ones where, you know, it's like whatever you're going to see is 14 miles in and then you have to cut 14 miles back (laughs) (laughs) because people don't just don't have interest in spending that much time getting to a place. And so that's where, you know, some of those pictures are are taken out. But like, if it's really crowded, you know, I do stuff with the angles or, you know, like I, I take a quick shot in between people walking through, I make it look less populated or, you know, like I take a shot of an area where it might be really crowded, but I'm taking a picture in between the crowds and then I'm cropping the crowd on the left and the right of the photograph. Yeah. And the other thing that I found, when, oh, you know what? I'm not going to give away that secret. I'm not going to give away the secret for when you can go on a busy trail and it won't be busy. I'll, I'll let people figure that out because uh, if I give away that secret, it'll be busy 24-7. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I've been struggling with that too. I wanted to do a Rustic Canyon video to uh, show you know how to get in there, where to uh, go, what to watch out for, always carry a flashlight, prepare to possibly be in there for the night. A lot of people get lost in there or walk up the hill into the neighborhood and are like, you know, knocking on people's doors. You know, yeah, a lot of people don't know what's in there. And I wanted to show them what's in there because it's amazing history and incredible beauty. But I haven't done anything yet because I've been uh, fighting with myself over that. Uh, what? Do I really want to do that? Because some of the dangers are there now. I don't want anybody to get hurt or them to destroy the environment. I agree. I agree. I just, you know, I've noticed over the years how noticed a lot of the things that trouble me when people show up at places without focus of being stewards of the environment and, you know, some of the things like specially (laughs) drives me crazy is when I go to a really nice trail and somebody with a loud radio, you know, you'll see when you go to, to like 
some of the nature websites, some of the zoological websites, especially for kids, you know, where it's like, what's the loudest animal on the planet? And they, you know, they're like howler monkeys or, you know, a charging rhino or (laughs) an elephant trumpeting or something. And the answer is humans. We are the loudest animals on this planet. And noise pollution is causing the extinction of other animals. They can't hear each other when they're sending, when they're sending mating calls to one another. So, so if they can't hear each other and they can't mate, there goes, you know, there goes that insect or there goes that bird or there goes that lower reptile, because it's usually those are the animals that are, that are going extinct because of noise pollution and light pollution. Yeah. I mean, you know, even um, Amazonian villages where, you know, tribal communities deep, deep, deep in the Amazon are suffering from noise pollution, from the cars, the planes, the, you know, even when I'm very, very quiet here, I can hear the rush of traffic from, you know, from a highway a mile or so away. I can, I can hear that. So um, yeah, you know, I just, I feel like it's really important to let people know that when you are out in nature, that is the song. That's the song that you need to be listening to. Don't turn on the radio because you are disrupting nature by doing that. You know, the littering, the littering just really has to stop. It is, I saw, you know, and I'm sure you saw this when, when you were a ranger, um, the squirrels that run over and eat plastic because it's got chocolate on it. And they're taking that to their den and feeding it to their babies or they're eating it. And then they're dying because it tastes like food, but it can't be digested and chocolate doesn't occur in the forest. So they stop eating their natural foods. Yeah. So, you know, that and the graffiti artist <laughs> yeah. on, on a, on a rock out in the middle of this trail, like you, you end up get to the end of a trail and you have to make like a left turn and scramble up a bunch of rocks. And when I got up there, I could smell spray paint, that aerosolized spray paint in the air. And oh, you know that nasty. was one of the things was that there were a lot of people there. So yeah. I'm like, do you smell that? Do you smell that? People would walk by. Do you smell spray paint? You know, I mean, like I was being like a total ass about it. But, you know, my intent was to <laughs> embarrass whoever <laughs> it was. And I did that. It was funny because then I see this guy you know, and this girl behind us and, and the guy like grabs his backpack and the girl's like, you know, put the cans away, put the cans away. Oh, wow. And yeah. So they did, they put the cans back in the backpack and they scrambled down, but yeah, you know, you get deep into these trails and people are carving the trees and graffitiing the rocks and, um, yeah, you know, so it's just something that I think about when I start to divulge a location, you know, that is special to me or that, you know, is sure somewhat pristine. Yeah. Just like, yeah, the, uh, oh, 
probably about uh, this time of year, um, California newts. They're orange and they're mating inside these uh, streams. And oh my gosh, they, how cute. I don't think I've ever seen one. Oh, I'll send you a picture. Um, I'm wondering, like, what are the biggest lessons that you learned from being a park ranger and being so close to nature all the time? And what was like the most surprising thing that you learned or that happened or, you know, that you have come <laughs> away with from that time period? Uh, one of the things I learned were people will do some foolish stuff. Uh, I think it was around uh, Mother's Day or something. Uh, the park was full of people. He picked up a baby rattlesnake to show uh, the kids who were around him. And the snake bit him. And uh, the paramedics came. They... Uh, Baby rattlesnakes can dump a lot of venom. Anyways, the guy's wife uh, comes over and she's like, oh, God, he's always doing stupid stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, there were uh, always, you know, lost hikers or mountain bikers that uh, crashed on the trail or hit somebody. Um, it was very interesting working there. A lot of animals. A lot of the people were nice. You know, it was nice to uh, meet, some, make some good friends. But a lot of the uh, history, you know, we were told to uh, tell people. Uh, we find out later that um, whoever did the research on it got it wrong. <laughs> like history rewrite. Pretty much, uh, there was this uh, calf, uh, stuffed calf inside the uh, ranch house the calf had died on uh this guy's ranch i forget the uh who it was but it was a friend of will rogers and he had it stuffed um mounted and had wheels put on it underneath it and <laughs> oh my gosh that sounds this, like something that a fraternity house would really like to get its hands on <laughs> This was a, uh, it was a roping calf and Will would sit there on his porch swing or chair or wherever and rope it indoors and you could pull it back and forth. But one of the uh, stories was that Will roped the ears off it because it had no ears. And we saw a picture of this calf back in the uh, 1970s and it's like, well, Will had been dead a long time because it still had its ears. and oh. um, <laughs> That's funny that they would, yeah, come up with something like that. What is the, like, the rarest animal or, like, the coolest sighting? Oh, yeah, lots of deer. Oh, actually, you were talking about how people's uh, litter and trash affect the environment. Mm -hmm. Well, like on the weekends the deer would actually go over to the trash cans and tip them and, you know, rummage through the trash. Oh, man. Um, what did deer eat? Like, what were they looking for? Apples? Or, like, do they actually then start liking things chocolate? They start liking things they shouldn't. Oh. Uh, so. It's a problem. It definitely It's a problem, yeah. Um, did you run into any wild cats? 
I I tried. I um <laughs> I tried. I, no, <laughs> seriously, I was like hiking all over the place. Looking, I've seen mountain lion tracks. I've seen dead carcasses of deer. There was one that was just killed in Russet Canyon by a mountain lion. And I guess I had uh, disturbed its feeding. And I don't know where it was, but it was around. Did that stress you out that you came upon its dinner and it was right there and it might come and try to defend its food? No, that never really crossed my mind. Um, the only thing it would defend would be its cubs. They probably pretty much just leave that and then they'll come back to it, drag it off, maybe hide it. So I, do, I wasn't worried about that. Plus, there was a lot of food, a good food source, uh, rabbits, deer, all sorts of stuff up there. They stayed away from humans. Have you heard recently, you know, I think all of these mountain lions have a letter P yeah, um, and a number associated with them. Oh, for Puma. Uh-huh. Ah, thank you. I was always wondering what's P stand for. Um, so P22 took a little stroll around Los Angeles and, and ended up over in the Silver Lake area, which is like dangerous to people and this mountain lion. But I guess he, he's back over in the Griffith Park area. I vaguely heard something about that, uh, but didn't catch the full news story. He's been strolling through the neighborhoods there, which, um, you know, hopefully trackers figure out how to help him stay in his usual territory. Well, a lot of it is encroachment. And uh, also their food sources are becoming limited because, you know, this drought that we're in and the fires and a lot of their habitat has been destroyed. Yeah. Um, And people leave their pets out. So it's like... Yeah, it's easy pickings. Yeah, I'm actually reading a book right now. It's called Of Wolves and Men by Barry Lopez. And there was a time period, I think it was in Alaska, where the wolves were coming into the city limits and wolves were coming down and eating their pets and taking off with them you know, which is really terrible. And so there there had to be a lot of retraining, for lack of a better word, of the community. And it, it covers some of the stuff that you're talking about. I wanted to uh, answer your other question. You know, what have I seen at the uh, park that, uh, you know, is unusual? I've seen bobcats. And, you know, if they see you, they'll run. So uh, they aren't a problem. The other thing was fox. They do live in the uh, mountains around here. And they're very rare to see because they are so well hidden. They're so elusive, aren't they? I don't think I've so ever elusive. seen That's a it. fox. Yeah. Um, seen a lot of coyotes. I've actually laid on the polo field there at night, you know, looking at the stars. And actually one time had a pack of coyotes just run right by me. Wow. Coyote chills down my spine because they have a very kind of sinister. I mean, it's almost like this laughter sound. It's not really a bark. Yeah, 
it is disturbing the howling and the uh, screeching that they make. And yeah, for sure. But uh, they are a necessary part of the environment. I mean, they also eat rodents and keep the uh, other populations in check. Yeah, there's a documentary, The Biggest Little Farm. And the thing was that they had chickens and there was like one day where like the coyotes just got in there and they killed the chickens. And somehow they were able to divert the coyotes to, they had like this horrible gopher problem and their trees started to fall over. And that took care of that problem. They left the chickens alone and the gopher population was kept in check. Yeah, I think like every single one of these episodes is just going to solidify a little bit more that I am like the world's biggest nerd. (laughs) You know, like it was neat. I'm going to have to go visit Apricot Farms because it is near us. Ah, count me in on your nerdiness. Thank you. (laughs) I'm I'm totally there. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I have another question for you. You mentioned when you get your leg. And that's coming up soon, right? Yeah. Uh, we are waiting for the new foot. March 30th, I think uh, I should have it. Hopefully sooner, but don't know. I lost my foot and ankle on my right side to partly diabetes and partly to just wear and tear on it because I've broken it and sprained it so many times over my life that there was a lot of damage. But the real damage was, you know, after I went into the emergency room and they sent me over to the orthopedic surgeon the next day and they put on a cast and I uh, was walking around a little bit on it and didn't think it was going to be that much of a problem. And the cast wore a hole into my ankle and the doctors could not repair it or rebuild it. So they said, it's easier just to take it off. Um, it was weird losing it, but it's, it feels better and feel healthier. I tried out my uh, new uh, foot and ankle a few days ago, and I could walk really nice. Uh, Did you really? That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it had to happen and it was scary, but now I'm just, I'm glad I did it because I can walk better than I could before or will be able to walk better. (laughs) Can't wait. There's this uh, sleeve, it's silicone, and you roll it up your leg and they take uh, scans from that. And basically, um, the foot is not really going to be seen. I mean, there is a prosthetic, a kind of like a rubber, you know, basic foot they uh, put over the prosthetic. But the prosthetic is kind of like uh, blade-like. It has these uh, two, um, it looks like a deer's foot in front of it, where my toes should be. It fits into the shoe very nicely. and. Uh, self-stabilizing and can't wait to get out there. Yeah. So do you have to wear special shoes or just regular shoes? Yeah. No, just regular shoes. Medical technology is the most amazing thing. And I think even more amazing than that is your attitude towards this, because it wasn't very long ago that this happened. 
No, I lost it uh, October 28th. Do you have that? Um, I have so many questions about this. I'm sorry. Ask me. I'm, <laughs> I'm there. I'll tell um, you. Do you have that phantom foot syndrome or phantom <laughs> syndrome? Yes. Do Sometimes you? I do. Yeah. Like when I move the muscles, I can still feel the bottom of my foot. I can still feel my toes. I feel a lot of a lot of my foot. Like sometimes there will be an itch on the top of it. And <laughs> I was gonna ask you that and I'm like, no, I shouldn't <laughs> ask them that. But yeah, do you get these phantom Phantom feelings? Yeah. Um... Uh, phantom pain? No. Phantom feelings. Yes. And it's wild. It's weird. And, you know, I cross my legs sometimes and my left leg goes through my right leg or tap my foot or, yeah. Oh, I've done a few bonehead things. Um, Once I was sitting on my bed and I just forgot and I stepped out into space and crashed to the floor. (gasps) Yeah. Got to remember, not there because you can feel that you're going to step. And that you are going to, you know, it's going to be like standing on the floor. I could see that happening. I mean, you go your whole entire life having a foot. And, yeah. you know, now it's not there and it's only been four months. Your brain has to kind of go, okay, well, that's not there anymore. So you're going to do stuff like that. I'm, I'm just glad yeah. you didn't get hurt. No, I haven't done that yet. Yay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a little difficult to... uh deal with, especially uh, like in rehab. There's things they teach you and some things that they forget to actually teach you. Like they were trying to uh, show me how to use a walker and I couldn't get my left leg to uh, move move forward. And the big duh is like, you've got to use your arms to push up on the walker so you can actually lift your body up to move that leg forward. And it was actually a physical therapist that came to my home, which taught me how to use that. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, one of the sad things is I've lost a bunch of friends. A lot of people cannot deal with the loss of a limb. It's like, I'm dealing with it. It's, you know, it's not affecting me that badly. Yeah. I mean, I have one foot in the grave. But <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Oh my god, I can't believe that. <laughs> Literally, the foot is. Yes. Who knows what they did with it? Oh, I was gonna ask you if um you did something special with it. Or, you know, like had some ritual or, you know, something. No. No? It crossed my mind to uh, see if I could bring it home and put it on the mantle or something. No. Don't no. Do <laughs> oh, my God. Whip it out during Halloween. I don't know. <laughs> well, I do not understand why you've lost friends. Um Nah, they just don't want to, they don't talk to me anymore. Yeah, some have even uh, unfriended me. I'm not, definitely not defending them. Um, But people have, like you said, a hard time 
wrapping their brains around those things, or it it triggers Mm. past traumas in them that they personally need to work through. And it feels like it's at your expense because they were important people in your life, but they're definitely not going to be able to contribute in a positive way to your journey, to your healing with those hangups. You almost, I mean, like you were really sick, super sick because prior to that you had, was it triple bypass surgery? Yeah, triple bypass. It was discovered after I broke my ankle. And the uh, doctor told me that if I go to sur- into surgery for my ankle to have that repaired, I was going to die on the table. Mm-hmm. So they did a triple bypass. You know, I had uh, what was called a widow maker. And now I'm, uh, I feel great. It'll be even better when I can actually get up and walk, but I'll be able to, uh, you know, get my cardio up and all that. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be awesome. And that's only really a couple of weeks from now. But you know, you went through a lot in the last year. And you've come out with, honestly, I mean, you're so inspiring. I know I read what your brother wrote that you are the bravest person he knows. And I have to agree with that. I couldn't imagine having to deal with triple bypass surgery having your foot removed, going through all the of the things that you've gone through and coming out with just such a great perspective on life. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you know, like you seem so grounded. You have this great sense of humor. You got these wonderful stories to share that I'm just honored that we are friends and like you're you're still the same Anthony that I've always known. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I love you. You're wonderful. Oh, thank you. I love you too. Yeah. Definitely. Um no, that's actually something I want to do is help people to get through this or whatever they're going through kind of lift them up, you know, cuz it's um it's a hell of a thing and uh, and because depression is a huge uh, monster that comes with this, if you're going through it, it takes a long time. It took me a long time to get out of the uh, depression. Actually, you were the one who helped me out of it. So I thank you very much. Yeah, I can imagine that it would be really just tough. I, I, there's no mm-hmm. no way around it. So I'm happy that I was there to help and um, be be something of a support to you. Those thoughts are like, you know, pulling bubble gum out of your hair or something, you know, it's just like you have to yeah. extract that bubble gum and get it out of there so that your hair looks nice again. And yeah. um, it's the same thing with with these thoughts. So um, definitely right. so you can move to, forward. Yeah, that's what that's one of the things. I mean, getting my leg cut off was traumatic, but those thoughts is what really hurt me. There's, um, I don't know what it's called exactly, but it's like a trauma scale um, that they use in psychology. And at the top of traumatic events are loss of a loved one, death, divorce, a breakup, or loss of a body part, um, losing your job, um, 
So those are, you know, like right up there and you were experiencing at least three of those all at once. There were a few other things. And there were probably, yeah, you know, so it's inspiring. Um, I know this is like so scary going into this and you probably felt like you didn't have a choice, but how did you set your fears aside? Were you able to do that at some point? Because you've recovered so well from them. I mean, you know, like I said, your sense of humor is there. There's a lot and it hasn't been that long since these procedures. So was there some preparation into going into them? Well, the other uh, procedures before the amputation, I did have a friend and then, you know, my brother and my aunt. That was support. But um, I figured with the amputation, you know, it's just, I got to do it. I got to do it because this thing is going to kill me if I don't. And I already got uh, my heart fixed and everything. So I can't, (laughs) I couldn't sacrifice that. Just coming Um, down to a pragmatic thinking. Right. I got to I got to do it. Just go for it. Bite the bullet. Just believe and have faith that it is going to get better and be better. And for a long time, it wasn't. It was deep depression. There was really not a lot of people to talk to. Um, There were, you know, the people at the uh, hospital at rehabilitation who were nice and it was hard to uh, just uh, move forward, even though I was, because it was um, the depression felt like I didn't want to do anything. And anything I loved or liked or music I really liked, stuff that would get me uh, out of this, wasn't working. Uh, I, I couldn't um, get past the, uh, there was a uh, feeling of dread, feeling of it was, uh, I don't know, it kind of hurt me. To, uh, I'm not even sure how to explain it. But the depression the, is uh, painful. Yeah, that's that deep sense of loss of depression. I think a, a lot of people um, will probably listen to what you were saying and, and fully understand. It's not a good place to be in, and I'm glad that you have been able to wade through that deep end and um, come out. I had to fight, fight hard to get out of it. Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm kind of where I should be, wanting to work out more, wanting to, yeah, I have my drive back. Oh, I love that. Inside. I love it. I am glad that you have your purpose back. Actually, I'm going to be walking better than I ever have and, it's not going to limit me. I'm going to be able to do anything I want to do, hike where I want to go, still go swimming, still scuba dive, all sorts of stuff. So what are some of the things you're going to do? Because I know like, you know, you've got these hikes planned. You're an amazing photographer and photo Mm -hmm. editor, and you've got all of this creative artistic background. What's the future for Anthony? The future is, the future's bright. One of the first things when I get this uh, new leg is I'm heading straight out to my backyard to garden. Um, I got to paint the walls in my hallway and just around the house because 
I've scraped them up with the wheelchair. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so that would be nice to actually be able to do that wheelchair. and put the wheelchair away. Yes. Yeah. And I just uh, want to be able to go walking anywhere I want to again, actually be able to go to the store again. I'll be able to drive again. I'm sure that when you get out into your yard, even though you haven't been out there in a year, I bet you're going to uncover some plants and just go, whoa, this is growing. I didn't think it was going to, you know. I've already come across that. uh, Some of the plants I had in pots Mm -hmm. uh, that I thought were dead, like my uh, grapes. And I'm like, wow, those are really resilient. I also, uh, I've had my brother bring a bunch of the pots and stuff up to the upper patio. And I've been planting all sorts of seeds and stuff. Uh, but I got uh, two different kinds of pumpkins and hopefully going to get some watermelon going. <laughs> nice. So what are, is there any lessons about yourself and your resilience and strength that you pulled out of these two experiences? Um, yeah, you got to enter these situations with humor, be able to make fun of yourself. Um, I mean, I believed that I was going to walk again and I had a few people telling me it's not going to be easy. You're not going to be able to walk right away. And it's like, I just did last week. <laughs> wow. Walked, no problem. The doctor didn't want to uh, send me out with the, the leg because it's not completely ready yet. But he said uh, he was impressed with how well I did and uh-huh. uh, how I was so ready to go. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to stop me. Now you got to look at these things uh, positively and, um, yeah, pretty much don't believe anybody who's going to tell you, uh, you know, it's going to be harder or more horrible than you think it is. And it's just going to get worse. Uh, no, it didn't get worse. I mean, the uh, depression was worse, but everything else is getting better. Yeah. And it's kind of like two different systems, right? Your mind and your body, they're separate. I mean, your mind resides in your body, but physically it's like everything else is getting better and your mind just needed to catch up. And I I think that, you know, like you have to give yourself some room and be gentle with the fact that you were depressed because you have to give yourself that space because it's a pretty traumatic event. And I think that there's a huge transitional phase that you have to go through just to process that these events have happened to you and that mm-hmm. you've lived through them. Um, there is a little know, PTSD there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're going to have that, but the resiliency that you've shown in recovering from this, um, pretty soon you will literally be putting one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to have to send you this this really cool song. I think it's called One Foot. Is it from the uh, one of those Christmas shows when we were kids? No, this is... <laughs> it's a rock band. 
And it's like metaphorically speaking, you know, he's like, I'm getting one foot in front of the other. And then at the end, he's like, well, look at me, I can walk and now I'm running. Um, So I will send you that. Awesome. I'm Um, looking forward to it. Yeah. And I am looking forward to you getting your foot. Yeah, there's a few more muscles that uh, need to be uh, worked on, but uh, a Pilates table and a reformer. Yeah, it's going to take a little while, but uh, or maybe not that much. I don't know. We'll have to see once I get that foot. um, Yeah, I've been rebuilt. and uh, The bionic man. Pretty much. (laughs) I hope that you enjoyed that episode and that you're able to go on more adventures and challenge yourself to overcome the things that hold you back. You are enough. As always, please keep your questions and your suggestions coming. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the others, please be sure to rate it because that helps move my podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. Speaking of friends, as always, I've got more in the company of friends talks coming up lists with Sophia, and so much more. So be sure to follow me on the socials and on the dot com, where I post updates, upcoming topics, recipes, and lots more. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the dot com at the Queen Trail Podcast. That is T H E Q U A I N T R E L E Podcast. I am still Annan, the Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you courage passion, adventure, grace, elegance, and beauty. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Whoa, that's a weird feedback. Oh God, yeah. Hello there. Hello! There you are. This is silly. This is this is so bad. I had my headphones on and they're kind of noise canceling. And I could yeah. hear you and I was like, gosh, he doesn't sound like he's right in my ear. And I must have had him on for like a good hour of the time that we were talking. And then I realized that they weren't even plugged in. So- <laughs> oh my God, Phil. <laughs> <laughs>